How you guys doing? Y'all good? Good. Um, I told nine o'clock about um, with Olivia, she's always like really nervous to come out here, but then she kills it when she comes out here. I mean, it's incredible. Um, I'm so thankful for her. She's been here literally, I mean, almost since the beginning. Um, and just seeing how she has been so faithful to our families, to the children. Um, and what's been awesome is to see how when she got here, it was really small and how she's just grown with it. Um, a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people eventually hit a lid um, and it kind of outgrows them, but Olivia's just grown steadily. And I'm so thankful for her, thankful for her faithfulness and just all that she does here at the church and, and really, especially who she is. So um, I'm excited. I, I say that a lot, but I really am this morning. I woke up, I was fired up. Um, so excited, in fact, that uh, I woke up at 4.30 this morning and could not go back to sleep. Um, went to bed about midnight. So if I fall asleep during this instead of you today, um, just leave quietly and it'll all be good. And I, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see when I hit that wall, you know, this afternoon, sometime after the adrenaline kind of dies, it's going to be like oh, crash, you know, but, um, but I am really, uh, I'm just excited in general. I feel like the Lord is really doing some things. I feel like we are, are kind of in this place of um, sort of breaking through some stuff. Um, I really believe that, that we're about to see a lot of really, really good things um, on the horizon, not just here, but just in our community, and, and I'm really excited about that. So um, today, we're going to start a new series called Heart and Soul. If you've been around here very long, you have heard that before, right? Um, you've heard that many times. Well, uh, we wanted to really do something, uh, some messages to really help us understand where we're going and we talked about how do we kind of summarize this in and, and, and a series title or something like that just to help bring it together. And this is, this is really what it came back to. A lot of thoughts and things, but felt like this is what the Lord was leading us to. Um, and we've always gone uh, and talked about this and gone to this because um, of what it means to be heart and soul. We got that title um, originally years ago uh, out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And in that passage, um, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, um, is about to go and attack a Philistine outpost. Now, the Philistines were the enemies of uh, the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people. And so he was about to go attack this outpost, just the two of them. They're um, outnumbered, but he says, let's go up. Maybe the Lord will give them into our hands. And he looks at his armor bearer as he's saying this. His armor bearer looks back and he tells him, um, do all you have in mind for I'm with you, heart and soul. And so uh, when we think about that, what we think about is here and, and in this body, we don't really look for people to just be members. We want everybody here to be heart and soul, not with connection church, but with God's mission and God's purpose. And so that's where that comes from. That's what that's about. And so the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at what, what does it look like for us to be heart and soul together. What is God's purpose for us as a church? We've been through a long period where I told you we were in a transition, we're in a transition. The pandemic hits and we're like, we're in a transit, like things changed, right? Well, I believe now we're stepping into this time of a transformation where we're actually gonna see the church beginning to um, take a different form. Um, I believe we're gonna see some really different um, expressions of the church, not in buildings, but in the community. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be rolling some of that out, really putting um, our feet 
to the ground and saying, this is what this looks like. This is where we're going. Um, today, though, I want to start with this. We can't be heart and soul if we're not one. We can't be heart and soul if we're not together. And not just us in here, I mean in the community, all believers, um, black, white, rich, poor, everybody, that we are together as one people, heart and soul, together um, for the purposes of God. And so we're gonna talk about that today and talk about um, how incredible it is that one, we get to draw near to God, but two, we get to live together um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, united around the gospel and striving for one mission, one purpose. And so we're gonna do that today out of Hebrews chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn there um, or get on your phone, whatever you're using this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. We're gonna begin in verse one. I wanna pray for us though, before we get into this. So Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that we can come together this morning. God, we know that there's no name like the name of Jesus. We know that there's no love like the love of the Father. We know that there's no helper, there's no um, comforter, there's no more great, greater power than the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that today. Thank you, God, that we can come near to you. We can draw near to you. God, thank you, Lord, that you even give us the ability through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit to draw near to one another in all of our differences, to be on one mission, one purpose, God. And Lord, today I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would ignite that in our heart. Ignite in our heart a passion, not just for the gospel, but yes, for the gospel, for you, Lord, but also for each other. A desire to be together, to be one, Lord. Well, we need you to do that because it doesn't always come easy and it doesn't always come natural. So Lord, we trust you in that. It's by faith, Lord, that we take hold of your purposes and promises, Lord. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have ever, ever heard the phrase or the saying, two's company, three's a crowd? Anybody ever heard that? Have y'all experienced that before? Um, I remember when I was young, I had two cousins. I'm an only child, so that explains a lot about me. Um, selfish, all that kind of stuff. So I um, had two cousins when I was small, and um, we were kind of like brothers, uh, really, really close. Uh, and when one of them would come over, it was all good, right? But when both of them came over, it was like fighting like cats and dogs. And, and so it was like two's okay, three's an issue. And as we look at this today, the crazy thing is that God says, listen, I don't want it to be three together. I'm talking about every person that's called by the name of Jesus who has put faith and trust in Jesus. I want you to be one. I want you to be together. I want you to be heart and soul. I want you to follow me together in my purposes and my plan. And that seems incredible. It seems awful hard to do that. But God is able to join us in that. We know this, we see it in the book of Acts where all of these people from different backgrounds and different places, um, different um, nations, they came together for one purpose. And so we see that this can happen and, and I believe that God wants this to happen. I know this is his heart. Um, as we look at God, we look at scripture and see what he has to tell us. And today 
We're gonna talk about this through um, Hebrews chapter 10. And this is the thought I wanna begin with. This is the thought I want you to remember, that proximity is a privilege. Proximity is a privilege. Speaking about proximity, meaning nearness. Uh, speaking of privilege, obviously, it's, it's really this special right or special access to something that not everyone has. So it's a privilege. So proximity is a privilege. And so let's read chapter 10, beginning in verse one. We're gonna read the first three verses and then we're gonna jump over to verse 11. We'll talk through this as we read it. It says, the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So the writer of Hebrews, I want you to understand a little bit about this. The writer of Hebrews, we're not 100% sure who it was. Um, some people think it was Paul. Somebody think, some people think it might've been Barnabas or Apollos. Anyway, we don't know exactly who it was, but we do know that most likely this book was written to Jewish Christians. And the reason that this is written is trying to keep them from falling away from faith in Jesus. Some of them have already fallen away. Some of them are turning away from Jesus and turning back to Judaism. One of the reasons for this is because they're being persecuted. They were under a lot of persecution. And a large part of that um, would leave if they just said, I'm not following Jesus, I'm just going back to Judaism. And so they were, if they went back to the Jewish faith, a lot of the persecution could be eased. A lot of what Hebrews is writing about, really the gist of this book is to encourage them, stand firm in your faith, don't shrink back, hold on to the confidence you have in Christ. And so when he says this, that the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Basically the argument he makes through this whole book is this, that um, Jesus is greater. If you read from the very beginning to the end, it's Jesus is greater. He's greater than the message delivered by the angels or the law. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than the sacrifice. He's greater, 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 greater. And this is what we're gonna see as we read this book, as he is encouraging them, don't fall away from the faith. He says, for this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrifices. All these sacrifices cannot make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, they wouldn't keep killing animals if the sacrifices could make them right with God. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, listen, are an annual reminder of sins. So this is talking about the day of atonement. Okay, stay with me. The day of atonement is the one day out of the year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was in the tabernacle or in the temple and it was um, separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain and, and nobody could go in there except one time a year. The high priest could go in um, after consecrating himself, cleansing himself the best he could and with the sacrifice of a bull and goats, he would go into the Holy of Holies, but only one time per year. So keep that in mind. He says this annual sacrifice is just a reminder of sin. It can't take them away. Verse 11 now, skip over. He's gonna keep talking about the sacrifices. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duty. So he's do they're doing this over and over and over again. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. How frustrating. 
But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What are we reading? Jesus is greater. Greater than what? Jesus is greater than the Old Testament priest. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament sacrifice. Those sacrifices are offered over and over and over again, but they cannot take away sin. This priest, however, offered himself as a sacrifice, and now he sits down while these Old Testament priests continue to sacrifice. He's able to sit down. Why? Because it is finished, and he has done what the blood of bulls, goats, sheep, and lamb could not do. Jump on down to verse 19 now. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through, listen, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now here comes the first of three let us statements. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The first thing I want you to see today is that proximity to God is a privilege. Proximity to God is a privilege. Do you listen to the language here that the writer of Hebrews is, is saying? He's saying, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, where did I tell you the most holy place was? It was in the tabernacle. The tabernacle represented the presence of God with the people of Israel, but it was behind this curtain, this curtain that only one person could go in one day out of the year, and this was sacrifices. He says, but we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And he tells us this, that it's by a new and living way. It's not through the old way. It's through a new and living way that we have been given, that's been opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So what is he talking about through the curtain that is his body? How's he telling us that we can have confidence to live in proximity to God? How is he telling us that, listen guys, this is an incredible privilege that we can come into the presence of God, that we can put ourselves in position consistently all the time. Whenever we want to draw near to God, he says, I'll draw near to you. How is it that we can do this? Listen, I want you to see this. Because this is incredible. I want you to see what a privilege this is. Go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. You can flip there. Now in Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites are at Mount Sinai, okay? Um, and, and in this chapter is when the... the um, covenant with the Israelites, this agreement with the Israelites is given. And basically God tells them, if you keep my law, my rules, my commands, if you keep these things I'm about to give you, which is the 10 commandments, I will be your God. You'll be my people. They go, yes, we will do that. Okay. But then God calls Moses up this mountain. And so listen to verse 16 in chapter 19. It says on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. 
As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priest who approached the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Sounds awful fun. Chapter 20, verse 18. Flip over one chapter. Chapter 20, verse 18. When This is after the giving of the 10 commandments. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Now think about this, guys. Think about this. Is that not a complete opposite picture of what we just read in Hebrews chapter 10? 100% opposite. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we have this confidence in Jesus that we can come boldly here. We can come into God's presence. We can come in and and be in proximity to God. This is a privilege, but we read in Exodus um, before Christ came that God's like, look, don't even touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, then bam, right? He's saying, don't even come close. Don't let them push through Moses or they're gonna perish. And we go, why is that? It's because of this, guys. Listen, it's because when sinful people, rebellious people come into the presence of a perfect and holy God, that's what happens. We don't hear a lot about that anymore, but that's exactly the truth. It's not that God was different in the Old Testament than he is today. He's the same God. And sinful people, rebellious people, can't come into the presence of a holy God. And basically what the Old Testament tells us is, and live. But we underestimate the holiness of God. We underestimate how holy, how other, how different he really is. And if we don't begin to somehow, not that we can wrap our mind around it, but somehow grasp how holy and perfect and amazing and awesome he is, then the good news of Jesus won't really even be good news. It'll be kind of like, nah. But he tells us, look, in Hebrews, we have confidence to enter into God's presence because of the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter through the curtain. Go to Leviticus chapter 16. Real quick, Leviticus chapter 16. This is that book you never read. Leviticus chapter 16 is gonna talk about the day of atonement. Remember I told you the day of atonement is the one day out of the year that the priest, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which symbolized the presence of God, the most holy place. He would go in after consecrating himself, cleansing himself and go in with sacrifices. So listen to this. We're gonna skip through a few different verses instead of reading the whole chapter. I just want you to get an overview of what he's telling us here. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. So what's he say? He say, look, he don't just need to show up on Tuesday at 10 and think he's coming into my presence right now. If it's not the day of atonement, if it's not according to the way I've laid it out, if he's not obedient to what I've told him, then it's not gonna end well for him. And so he says, don't come in here anytime. It's only on the day of atonement. 
Listen now to verse 11. He's going to talk about the sacrifice. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. And so now he's got to bring this bull in and he's got to sacrifice this bull. And this sacrifice is to atone for or make, um, uh, you know, payment for the, 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 the sin of Aaron and his own household. And so he's told to make this sacrifice. Then if you go down to verse 15, he says, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. And so now we see this, that now he sacrifices a goat. This sacrifice for the goat is now for the, the sin of all the people. And yet when we come over to Hebrews, he tells us this stuff could never take away our sin. What was it? It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was ultimately going to do. Now jump over way over to verse 34. He says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And so I want you to get this. I want you to see this. At one time per year, this one man was able to come into the presence of God. This was not without bringing their own sacrifice. This was not without consecrating and cleansing themselves the best way they could. One time each year he could come in. But then we read in Hebrews where it tells us that now we can enter with confidence. We can draw near to God. We have a privilege of being able to draw near to God as his people. And it happened through the body of Jesus, the curtain now that we enter into. And what we learn is this in scripture. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, it's in the gospels, when Jesus died on the cross, that when he breathed his last breath, when he spoke his last words and breathed his last breath and he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that this happened in the temple, that the temple was torn in two. This temple doesn't want to tear, but it was torn in two. What's he telling us? That Jesus, this final sacrifice, that through his blood, through the blood shed on the cross, through his body, the body that took our sin upon itself, the body that, that, that was punished for our sin, that he made a way so that we can confidently come into the presence of God. How incredible is it that God made a way for us to be able to come into his presence, to live in his presence, to not just walk into a building and come into his presence, but that he sent his presence to live in us. That now he's made a way for us to, to live with him all the time. So proximity to God is a privilege that Jesus bought for us. He made for us the final sacrifice once and for all. He goes on verse 23, the second let us statement. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. All right, we're gonna hold on to that one, come back to that one in just a second. But listen to verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The second thing I want you to see is this is that proximity to one another is a privilege. Um, we ought to know that more now than we've ever known that, right? That proximity to one another is a privilege when you're all supposed to be sitting six feet apart. Some of y'all aren't, but, but we're supposed to be social distancing. We know now that this is a greater privilege than what we used to think it was. 
We could walk in Lowe's or the dollar store and think we're not gonna lose our life, right? And so proximity to one another is a privilege. But even with God, it's an even greater privilege. We should realize this because now we all are the children of God. We have a greater purpose. We together are now a new community. And I want you to see this, that proximity to God and the hope we share are what changes our meetings or should change our meetings from ordinary to extraordinary. They should change our meetings from ordinary to extraordinary. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. He says, let us hold. Let us, the hope we possess. And so when we come in to worship or we go to our small group or we go to our Bible study or we go to our Sunday school, we're coming into this place where we all have this proximity with God. We all have the Holy Spirit living in us and we come together and we share this hope and this hope we have in Jesus is bigger than all our petty problems that separate, is bigger than all our fine lines of theology. And we come together and we begin to celebrate together that we have proximity to God, that we have been bound together by the Holy Spirit, that we all have one purpose moving in this life together and that we now have been commissioned, called and empowered to change the world, to see it transformed, to see it redeemed, to see God's glory become known throughout the earth. And he's called us to this together. The proximity to God is a privilege. Proximity with each other is a privilege. When we come in and we're able to come together and we share this hope and we share this one message and we come together. And even when we're facing a pandemic, even when we're facing social injustice, even when we're facing riots, even when we're facing all this upheaval throughout the world, we come together and this is what we know. Together, we have an incredible hope. I want, I want you to hear something this morning and, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I, I don't want you, as soon as I say it, just go, you know, and not listen because I want to explain what I'm going to tell you. One of the things that concerns me is what is going to happen to people because of the pandemic um, in their faith. And I want to say this and then explain it. But we need to understand, guys, that there's no such thing as an online church. There's no such thing as an online church. Now, let me explain that. Don't cut it off yet because you're at home watching. Right now, there are people who wisdom for them is, is don't come here, right, right now. And so you watch at home. Maybe you get with your connect group on Zoom right now. Maybe you, you get with your connect group and you sit way apart. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you right now, but this is what I can tell you. When all of this is said and done, there is no such thing as an online church. We are called to be together. We are called to be together. I think there are um, some different groups like 
that we have right now. We have people who, when the doors opened the first time, they were like rushing in. They couldn't wait to get here. Then we have people who they want to get here really bad, but they, they know like health-wise, probably not a good idea. Then you have people who they have small children. I've talked to a lot of people like this. They're like, look, I got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old. If I come in there, we're not going to hear anything and neither is anybody around us. And so like, okay, get that. But then there's a group too that's like, thank God the pandemic hit. I don't have to go to church on Sunday and now I got a good excuse right? But we need to understand this. And listen, this is not to try to pressure people to coming here. It's not to try to pressure people to go to a connect group or small group or Bible study or Sunday school. This is what I'm, I wanted you to hear. This is a plea. This is a warning. Don't fall away. Don't fall away. Whatever you need to do to stay connected to the body. I've heard people say this before, that the first step away from God is a step away from his people. And we need to see this and understand this, that this is a privilege that we get to be together and celebrate together. And we need to have this realization and recognition of this incredible privilege we have to come and get in a position to spend time with God. We need to have this recognition of how incredible it is that we can gather and celebrate the same truth of the gospel and not lose sight of that. Because here's a question Will our love for Jesus and each other remain when the pandemic is gone? Because it will end. The only problem with thinking that there is such thing as a social distance church or an online church or whatever you want to call it is the Bible. The word for church in the Bible is ecclesia. It's literally an assembly, a gathering, a company of people. And so it speaks not just of a gathering of Christians. The word was more of a general term for people that gather really for any purpose. But we know that we're gathered. Um, we assemble, we gather. We're a company of people gathered in the name of Jesus. And so we need to see this. And here's an example of why this matters. Think about this. If you're in the hospital and not night now, because we know nobody can go visit people really in the hospital right now. But if you're in the hospital back in the days when people could go in the hospital and see people um, and, and you're there and you're sick, then somebody, your best friend maybe texts you and says, hey, I'm praying for you, love you. I'm thinking about you a lot. That means something, right? I mean, that's cool. And if you're a younger generation, it probably means more than the older generation because the older generation is just like, why can't they pick up the phone and call me, Right? But then if somebody calls you and you hear their voice and they begin to talk to you, they begin to speak and you begin to have a conversation, that means even more than the text, right? You get to hear their voice. There's something about hearing somebody's voice when you're in a situation that means something to you, but it means even more if they're sitting in the room with you, if they're present, if they can touch you, if you can reach out and touch them, if you can hold their hand and you know that they're there with you in that situation, it means even more. Think about this situation. Do you think it means any more? Like say, it, say a soldier's overseas and, and he does a FaceTime or a Zoom or whatever with his wife and children. Do you think it means any more to him and his family if he's looking at it on a screen or if he's there in person? Absolutely. Why? Because there's something about being present there's something about being able to touch someone. There's something about being in the same room together. There is power in that. So we need to understand this, guys. This is really, really important. 
It's important because it's God's heart that we would be one, that we would be together. Go and look through the book of Acts. When you look at the book of Acts, this is what you'll see. You will see that the unity and love of the church as they were together was the greatest evangelical tool in the Bible. It was the greatest proclamation of the the gospel because when they were together, it was a demonstration of who Jesus is and it was also them declaring who Jesus is. And if you look at it, it, the Lord was just adding to their number. They were a tangible representation of that. This is important. I wanna give you real quick some truths about proximity, some truths about proximity. Um, The first one is this, there's no influence without proximity. One of our elders, Eric Gatto, shared this a while back and it stuck with me, that there's no influence without proximity. Um, When we get around each other, what does that look like? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, that when we come together, we encourage one another, we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on coming together, um, but encouraging one another. He says, keep pushing forward, keep pressing forward. There's there's great um, power, there's great influence that comes when we're together and we can encourage one another. Um, And we need to see this. There's also um, encouragement and strength that we draw from coming into the presence of God. When we strengthen ourselves in the Lord and we're encouraged by God. Second one is this, that there's power in proximity. There's great power in proximity to God. There's great power in proximity to people. If you go and you read Psalm 133, it tells us that that when the brothers, when people dwell in unity, it says in that passage, it says that there the Lord commands a blessing. It's a blessing, his power, the presence of God. Why? Because that's his heart. That's what he desires. We see this, that when we gather, we know this is his heart from John 17, when Jesus prays for unity. Um, If you go and look at Acts, the book of Acts is full of how the power of God works through their unity, through their togetherness. There's great power and proximity to God and each other. The next one is this, that there's a cost to rejecting God's offer of proximity. There, There is a cost to this. Look at verse 26 of Hebrews 10. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And what he's talking about here is not the the occasional slip up, the occasional mess up. He's saying, listen, what you need to understand is if you continually rebel and continue to reject God and you reject this opportunity, this offer of proximity through Jesus, he's saying there's no other way. He's saying there's no other way. See, we need to understand sin's not just an act, it's a direction. Sin is a direction away from God. He's saying, if you continue to do this, listen, you need to understand that that there's no other way to get there. There's no other way behind there. And see, this is what he's telling them. He's saying, if you desert the faith now, then here's the the, the reality. You're going to spend eternity on the wrong side of the curtain. And this is not for him to be like preaching a hellfire and brimstone message. This is him pleading with them, don't fall away. The last one, there's a risk that comes with proximity. If you look over in verse 32, 
He says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in great affliction or great conflict, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. See, there's, there's risk involved. When you look at this, we see the people here and, and the struggle, the thing they're wrestling with is do we abandon Jesus and make it easier on ourselves? It, it was risky. He says, look, some of you have gone through imprisonment. Some of you have gone through um, public disgrace. You've gone through all these things, but remember those days, remember the joy. Don't fall away. Don't fall away. And it's as if the writer of Hebrews is saying this. He's saying, listen, you're deciding not to gather. You're deciding to abandon the faith. You're deciding because it seems like it's too bad or too dangerous to do so. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, because it's bad, because it's, it's challenging, now's the time you need the church the most. Again, I'm not telling you just to throw caution to, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, what I'm encouraging you to do, stay connected. And when this is over, listen, you'll still be standing. But stand firm in the faith. What do we do with this? We press into proximity with God. We press into proximity with each other. Whatever that looks like for us today. Everybody's in a different place. Whatever that looks like for us today, as much as we can, we press into proximity with God. We press into proximity with each other and we continue to step. We don't throw away our confidence. We continue to move. And my encouragement for us today is that we do that. That we don't take for granted the privilege, that we don't take for granted the opportunity. We don't take for granted what we're able to do together. We don't take for granted that we're called to be a part of this mission together. We don't take those things for granted and we continue to press into proximity with God and each other. We come to this greater realization of oneness. And I believe this with all my heart that when we do this and we continue to press and we don't back away from what the enemy throws at us, we will see incredible transformation, not in this room, but in our community and in the world. So this is what we're going to do right now in the last couple of minutes we have. I'm going to ask Wesley. He would lead us in a song and, and then you can dismiss us, Wesley, if you will. But we're going to take this time and we're going to press into proximity with God. We're going to press into him in worship. Maybe you came in sleepy. Well, here's another chance. We're going to press in and take advantage of the privilege we have to come near to God. We're going to press in and we're going to thank God at the same time that he's made us one body and we're going to celebrate what he's done and we're going to sing to him and we're going to, going to lift our hearts to him in a way maybe that, maybe that you've never done before. But let's not throw away this privilege. Let's not let this be something that we sort of flippantly look at, especially in these times. My prayer is that there won't be people who fall away 
on account of what's going on in the world today. So Father, we thank you that we can draw near to you. We thank you, Lord, that, that God, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are so good. You've made a way for us. You tore the curtain, Lord, that separated the sin wall that separated has been torn down. God, you are greater than that wall, Lord. And you're even greater than our own selfishness, our own um, desires, our own agendas, Lord. I pray you will tear those down in our hearts that we can be one people united for your purposes, led, Lord, by your spirit to accomplish what you've called us to in the world. We love you, God, in Jesus' name.